Hello and welcome to the Seems Legit Podcast, hosted by your favorite craft beer drinking, whiskey sipping, bourbon appreciating, sushi eating, steak craving, speedo wearing, tell like it is, poker playing guitarist, the dude himself, the dude Sonny D. I want to thank you all so much for tuning into this episode of the Seems Legit uh, Podcast. Sorry, I have a bit of a cold I got over the weekend, so uh, might be a little bit uh, off today, but uh, hopefully still uh, providing you guys with a good episode. So thank you all so much for tuning in to this episode of the Seems Legit Podcast. Uh, belated happy uh, Canadian Thanksgiving to all of you out there. Uh, it was Thanksgiving weekend up here in Canada this past weekend. So happy Thanksgiving or belated Thanksgiving to all of you. It was a nice long weekend. Uh, unfortunately, as I said, I got a bit of a cold. So uh, taking it easy today, hopefully uh, can be over this soon and be back to uh, closer to 100%. Uh, but nonetheless, uh, got a bit of a cold and of course I become a whiny little baby, you know, feeling sorry for myself, you know, woe is me when I get sick. So uh, we'll see how this goes, but hopefully the worst. I think today is probably the worst day I've had so far uh, with this cold, uh, so this is the worst. It's not too, too bad, even though I am feeling a little warm right now, but I have been moving around a lot, but we'll see. So uh, hopefully I might go to the, actually not might, I will probably definitely go to the gym later uh, for a steam, um, go for a workout. I did that yesterday. I was out. I had a busy day uh, despite being sick, which was probably what uh, pushed me back today. Uh, I was still trying to be productive yesterday, uh, looking uh at possibly getting myself a new car, a uh, new truck. So we'll see how that uh, goes. Uh, but nonetheless, that's kind of where we're at. Uh, there in my, uh, one of the things there I had to get done yesterday was went and looked at some cars, uh, did some test driving. Uh, so we'll see. Uh, it's, it's a work in progress. And I think the big thing here as a consumer to understand, I've talked about this a little bit in the past and it's something I want to talk more about uh, here on the podcast, not just today, but in general, is that idea as consumers, right? Is there's that there's those two warnings, right? We learn in, that I learned in university in marketing. There's buyer beware and uh, seller beware. Uh, so, you know, when it comes to buying, you don't want to have buyer's remorse, right? You want to be 100% sure of the decisions you're making. It's your money. You work hard for your money, right? On the sales side, the goal is to get is to make a transaction that's beneficial to both parties. They want your money, and they're hoping to give you something in return that is worth that money, or is that or is worth that amount of money to you. And I always use that example, or not that example, but I always like to say it's that value to you. It's not a globalized value. It's not a generalized value when you make a purchase. Because there's so many things that can go into a purchase price. There's time, there's location, uh, there's availability, there's demand, supply. All of these things go into determining what you're going to pay for a given product or service. The thing to remember and consider is that when you decide to make that purchase decision and you go through that purchase transaction, you've decided that, that, that the consumption of that service product, whatever it might be, entertainment, whatever it might be, is worth that price at that time to you. And generally, the happier we can be with those purchase decisions, and uh, I mean, of course, having the ability to make those purchase decisions, and I'm not encouraging everybody to go out and buy, it's actually kind of, it's, you know, just 
you know, we have to take time to think about the purchases we make, how we spend our money. Of course, being responsible with money is such a big, important part of our everyday life, uh, you know, and it's so important. And it's actually kind of sad to see in a way um, just how many people may or may not have full grasp under the, you know, kind of true self-financial management. And I shouldn't say sad, but you know what? It's just unfortunate. And uh, regardless, that's why I've talked about money in the past on the podcast, something again, we'll talk about more in the future, but regardless, understanding, you know, income inflows and spending outflows, right? And making sure they balance, making sure we're prioritizing how we're spending our money, what we're spending our money on. Um, Those are very important things. But regardless, uh, me, of course, not feeling too well, but still, uh, you know, and, and now, of course, and as you think about it, right, and it's, our, and it's my prerogative to take as long as I want to make decisions regarding spending my money. So that's something to remember as well. But <clears throat> when I look at it, yes, I, of course, want all the information possible. I want to make as informed a decision. It's no different than when I'm playing poker, right? You don't make rash decisions. That happens kind of in your early days, your younger days, you know, and younger, I mean, is, you know, those early days of playing poker. It doesn't matter how old you actually are. Uh, but in those early days of poker, as you get better and have played more, yeah, I mean, some decisions become easier. Other ones, yeah, you do have to think a lot more. And depending on the situation and circumstance, you need to think. And and making purchases is no different. It's no different than buying a house, buying a shirt, whatever it might be. It's just we need to take time to think as uh, people. I think it, what is it, caveat emptor and caveat uh, uh, venter or something like that, I think is what it was. Uh, is the Latin terms for buyer and seller beware of respect. Um, but regard, regardless... Um, I forget what it is now. Well, anyway, doesn't matter. Uh, regardless, that is uh, something to be cognizant of. Regard um about anything. anyway, what I wanted to talk to you about today is there was a UFC event this past weekend. Uh, it was a one of those free kind of fight night events, and there's a couple of interesting fights. The the co-headliner and the headliner event had um some really interesting. Uh, implications and I mean other fighters have weighed in of course giving their opinions and I mean some of that can be trash talk some of that can be valid and actually everybody's I mean entitled to an opinion regardless uh, in the co-main event we had Cub Swanson who had lost four straight fights I believe uh, versus Cron or Crone Gracie I'm not sure how it's pronounced uh, son of Hickson Gracie who many people consider to be the greatest uh, Brazilian jiu-jitsu practitioner of all time his son, Cron, or Crone, I, I pronounce it Cron, I'm not sure, so I do apologize if I'm mispronouncing that, but Cron Gracie against Cub Swanson. Cron Gracie, a very accomplished jiu-jitsu practitioner himself. Um, he's very close to the Diaz brothers. You often see him uh, in the corner for the Diaz brothers. I think uh, one of the Diaz's might even have been in his corner for this fight. Regardless, uh, Gracie versus Swanson, and there's a couple of takeaways from that. Uh, spoiler alert, Cub Swanson did end up pulling out the decision. I believe it was a decision. Um, but Gracie, man, did he show toughness. Fuck, did he eat some good shots, some solid, solid body shots. And, I mean, that was insane to see. And, I mean, he kept going and he kept pushing Swanson back. Uh, now, of course, there were some tactical things that he could have done differently, perhaps. Uh, he tried to pull guard a couple of times when he had um, Swanson in some unfavorable positions uh, standing up. That comes with time and practice. Uh, but one of the storylines going into the fight 
uh, was their approaches to training over their careers. Cub Swanson, I believe, is a jiu-jitsu black belt himself, um, but has trained at a variety of gyms. I think uh, Jackson Wink down in Albuquerque, New Mexico, is his main gym. But he's gone around training at a variety of gyms. Cron Gracie, on the other hand, believes or was said to or is said to believe that um, you should be training at one kind of place. Like that's your home. That's who's brought you into the sport. That's where you train. That's where you get better. That's where you learn. Loyalty, loyalty, loyalty. Kind of something along the lines of what Conor McGregor preaches in a way is that idea of loyalty, right? And and dis and versus disloyalty. And there is a credibility to that statement. I'm a very loyal person, and I like to believe that I surround myself with loyal people. And if people prove to be disloyal, I mean, they got to go. But uh, in that sense, I can understand where he's coming from in loyalty. It's, it's hard to find truly, genuinely loyal people. And when you do, those are the people you need to have in your life and you want to have in your life and should be surrounding you as you try to accomplish and go on and do whatever it is you're trying to do in your life. Having disloyal people, I mean, it's only going to bring you down. It's only going to provide you with negativity in your life. And you don't want that. You don't need that. You don't need the paranoia. All of those things associated with it. You don't need that. So, I mean, we always go out there and try to find loyal people. When you do, you cling to that. Or I mean, well, not cling to them, but you should you should have them around. You should keep them. You should cherish that. Ah, uh, pardon me. This cold is just beating me up. Uh, now, of course, I mean, as I said, I become a whiny little baby when this happens. But anyway, uh, enough of me being a baby there. <coughs> oh, pardon me. Uh, we do have, uh, yeah, so so we have those kind of storylines. Uh, what I guess happened this time, though, was Cub Swanson was actually not allowed to train any of the Gracie Jiu-Jitsu gyms kind of across the states. They said, hell no, you're fighting one of ours. That's just not going to work. Now, he did go on to win, and there was some banter back and forth, I guess, pre-fight, in which uh, Swanson kind of clarified after and said, look, my beef isn't with Cron Gracie. I have no problems with the guy. It's kind of the politics of jujitsu that, you know, is my issue. And I can respect that side of it too. As a mixed martial artist, as an athlete, especially as a combat athlete, you do have a certain responsibility, especially in mixed martial arts, to learn as much as you can. Um, being that it incorporates such a variety of techniques, you do want to be in a position to learn as much as possible. And doing it right, doing it respectfully, I don't believe is a sign of disloyalty. Uh, I think it's just a matter of evolution. In a way, it's kind of just par for the course. You need, you know, you want to try and learn as many different techniques, as many different ways of doing things, learning as many right ways, avoiding the wrong ways. Similarly, as I say about, you know, cooking, it kind of applies to a lot of things, really. Uh, that's why I said, you know, most things that you become good at and proficient, the underlying principles can be applied uh, to a wide variety of our lives, right? And I always tell people when it comes to cooking, Yes, there are a variety of ways to do certain things. The idea isn't that there's necessarily one right way to do any specific thing. And in some cases, there are. Don't get me wrong. In some, way, in some cases, there are right ways versus wrong ways. But the idea is, is it's not as much important as, you know, my way is more correct than this way. It's that you want to avoid doing things the wrong way. And, and avoiding doing things the wrong way is significantly more important than pardon me, worrying about doing things the most right way. Uh, and an example of that that I use, for instance, is uh, 
very famous dish that a lot of people kind of talk about and is scrambled eggs. There's a wide variety of ways to cook scrambled eggs. And I mean, there's a lot of famous chefs that tell you their perfect way to cook scrambled eggs. Basically, there are certain principles and techniques that should be applied when scrambling, when making scrambled eggs that are pretty universally accepted. How you get there, I mean, there's a variety of techniques. The important thing is to avoid doing the wrong things when making scrambled eggs. There's a, there's a variety of ways to get a delicious uh, dish of scrambled eggs. There's ways to get a horrible dish of scrambled eggs. Those are the things you want to avoid. In combat, it's really no different. You want to avoid doing things the wrong way. So by spreading and, and, and taking in knowledge and, admit, and admitting it, say, hey, I'm just here in this gym to learn what I can. This isn't a principle, you know, me trying to come here and steal, you know, and, and I'm going to be fighting your guys. I mean, the gyms are smarter than that. They know when matchups could be happening. They're not going to expose their fighters to potential opponents and be like, oh, hey, now I know so-and-so is weak or so-and-so has, you know, a chronic injury, whatever it is. They're not going to expose their guy, their, I, I was going to say guys, but their fighters to that. So that's one thing. Be honest. And then there's nothing wrong with that. You want to learn. And it's kind of, uh, even when I was in university, I had had a professor that shared some of the hiring principles of various um, post-secondary institutions, where they basically say, we do not hire in the, prof in the professorial rankings, so as lecturer, assistant, associate, and full professor, um, people that have graduated with PhDs from our own institution. They want to recruit people from other institutions to try and share the knowledge, right? To bring in new knowledge, bring in new perspective, um, expand the program, grow the program, and in turn offer kind of a, a more valuable program, right? If it's the cons if it's the same thing all the time, right, and you're constantly kind of breeding your own professors, at a certain point that knowledge doesn't necessarily expand. Now, I mean, in academics, you go on in academia rather, you go uh, to conferences and you work with other people and you know from other institutions and whatnot, <coughs> but there's that principle that you want to bring in other people uh, from in other institutions to help expand the program. It's no different there than going and training in a different gym to expand your own body of combat knowledge. So that was just kind of one of the storylines there of that fight. Swanson now won. Now coming out of this fight, it's interesting because I've always said not every fighter in every circumstance is treated equally in combat, especially in mixed martial arts, especially in the UFC. And there isn't anything necessarily wrong with this. I'm not saying I'm not singling out the UFC as being the big bad guys here, but I've long said that sometimes for the you know, for the growth of the sport, for kind of the health of the sport, there are certain fighters, and you're a promoter. As a promoter, there are certain fighters that have more promotability, that are bigger stars. That yes, they are closer to title shots. Their story is more marketable on a climb than other people's stories. It, ain't, it isn't necessarily fair, you know, it isn't necessarily equal, but it is kind of the way things go in combat sports. Um, I think it was like no different than when Floyd Mayweather fought Andre Berto in what was to be his retirement fight. He's since subsequently come out of retirement and beat up on uh, Conor McGregor, but regardless... When he picked Andre Berte, that was kind of a hand-picked fight. Many people were like, what the heck is he doing? Is he just hand-picking a win here? And I mean, Andre Berto is a physically far more imposing guy. 
uh, than Floyd Mayweather. And and there was a famous thing where Mayweather said in the build-up to the fight, he says, I don't have muscles like Berto, but Berto sure as hell don't have money like Mayweather or something along those lines. And it was like, well, I mean, if that isn't putting into perspective, I don't know what is. And I mean, Mayweather's made a career out of that. He was not the bigger fighter against McGregor. He wouldn't have been the bigger fighter against Canelo. A lot of these times, right? Still finds the way to get the job done. I think even when he fought um, De La Hoya, he might have been the smaller fighter against De La Hoya. <coughs> now, uh, with that being said, again, boxing is a little different uh, than mixed martial arts. But yes, there are certain fighters who are closer to title shots. I remember when Rampage Jackson got a title shot against John Johnny Bones Jones. I believe it was John Jones's first title defense after uh, winning the UFC light heavyweight title the first time uh, from Sh- uh, from Shogun Hua. And it's actually an interesting case, right, where John Jones is literally probably the first multi-time champion in UFC history to never actually lose his belt. Uh, and, I mean, that's a great pro wrestling storyline. That was uh, Dave Batista back in the day. He had to surrender the world heavyweight title due to injury and then he was kind of this uh, and then when he came back was kind of this uncrowned champion and they made him work for it you know and things were always getting in the way and then finally you know uncrowned champion gets his belt back and you know the the epic storyline john jones has kind of been the real case of that now some of that is on his own for out of the ring or out of the octagon uh misbehaviors but still interesting enough that he is a multi-time champion who's actually never lost the belt. Um, but yes, Rampage Jackson, I believe, was his first uh, his first title defense. And people were like, Rampage? At the time, Rampage, I believe, was just coming off a win against Lyoto Machida, uh, who wasn't that far removed himself from being champion. I think he did... I can't remember if uh, he beat, like, Matt Hamill or something else. But he had a bit of a winning streak. But Rampage was a brand-name fighter. He was a brand-name fighter. He'd gotten into some out-of-the-octagon issues, of course, too, when he was champion. Uh, but, I mean, he was a brand-name fighter, had big wins. And it was kind of a credibility thing to both. And, I mean, the UFC was still growing at the time. And, I mean, it's hard to... It's, it's amazing when I look back now and you think, man, the UFC's so big as is... And I look at it now, I'm like, wow, it was still even growing back then. Um, but regardless, he was, they used Rampage, I think, in a way, as he's a brand name fighter. He is a former champion. He's coming off some wins. Let's put him in there against John Jones. He might not have been the most deserving contender. We don't know that. But at the time... He they used him, and it was a great it was, you know, it was a good fight, and it was promotable. You know, it sold pay-per-views. It was what it was. And the same thing kind of applies today. There are still certain fighters that are closer to title shots than other fighters. A great example of that, Joanna Yajacek. She was, and this is kind of segue into the main event of the night. Joanna Yajacek, former UFC, um, I want to say it's bantamweight uh, championship or flyweight. I'm not sure, but uh, whichever weight it is. No, it wouldn't be bantamweight because bantamweight's 135. Featherweight and bantamweight, maybe flyweight. Um, let's say flyweight. <coughs> oh, pardon me. Uh, champion who famously lost to Rose Namajunas, um, and then I mean had had an odd performance 
in the rematch, and it was an immediate rematch, and kind of rightfully so. Uh, Joanna was the most dominant champion in that division, I think actually of all time, or she might have been on the way to tying Ronda Rousey's record or had tied Ronda's, I'm not sure, uh, for title defenses. But Joanna was, I mean, she was fighting the cream of the crop. Nobody can say she had easy fights or wasn't fighting, um, you know, the next number one contenders. And yeah, so she lost to Rose, got knocked out, got the immediate rematch, and fought a bizarre, had a, had a bizarre strategy in that fight. And the, the and it was almost as if she was fighting as if she was the champion. And whilst I don't think she won necessarily might have won the fight, she, sh she certainly didn't lose it. And that's typically the strategy a lot of champions will take, where they might not necessarily, you feel like they won the fight, but you know they didn't lose the fight. And then, of course, you get champion's advantage. You have to beat the champ to become the champ. She kind of had that bizarre strategy there, which was a little weird for me, but regardless, she wasn't able to recapture the belt. Subsequently, she took some time off, and she's come back now. I think she beat Tisha Torres. I don't know if she has another one in there, too. And then this past weekend, beat Michelle Waterson, who was on the rise on herself. Michelle Waterson has done, a, you know, has been around for a while. Very credible fighter. Um, great social media presence. And, I mean poses some very interesting challenges to uh, Yajajic. However, uh, when it was all said and done, uh, Joanna did uh, get the win, and, and it was a pretty dominant win, uh, and, and looked right back on track to win the title. Going into that fight, she was the fifth-ranked fighter, according to the UFC ranking systems, and you'd think, well, if she's the fifth-ranked fighter... You know, that means there's, you know, three or four others ahead of her um, ahead, than the champion. How would she get necessarily get the next title shot? Well, A, dom uh, dominant former champion. B, still in the prime of her career. C, winning streak. Th um, and D, brand name presence. Brand name presence. And, I mean, in the when it's tough to sell pay-per-views... Uh, you need to kind of sometimes look at that brand awareness, brand uh, recognition, and brand power. And Joanna Yajacek might have one of the biggest brands in that division in the UFC uh, female uh, weight classes there. So, yes, she very well might be finding herself in a title picture. It's interesting, though, because I had never heard of Wiley Zhang before she beat Jessica Andrade, and I picked Andrade to win that fight. I thought Andrade should handedly win that fight, um, but I had there was some people that were saying Zhang could do it, and I don't think Andrade was that big of a favorite. Zhang beat her. There's a lot of things to go. I mean, Rose Namunis has talked that her fighting career could very well be over, especially after losing to Andrade and the way she did. That was a vicious, vicious body slam she took. You could make an argument that, you know, she needs some time off. Let's let her take some time off. She did defend the belt once. But again, what becomes the measure for dominant champion and, you know, rematches kind of almost instantaneously? Back in the day, it was long-standing champions got immediate rematches. And I was never... And I, I didn't have a problem with that. I felt, you know what? If you've defended your belt a few times, and for different weight classes, being dominant meant other things, but, you know, had a different measuring stick. But... You get the the rematch. Ronda Rousey even got one when she came back. She lost Holly home, took some time off, came back. Her next fight was for the belt against Amanda Nunez. She got knocked out again, but she got the rematch. And 
I mean, I thought Amanda was going to destroy her, which she did. But you can't argue the fact that Ronda probably did deserve that title shot. So, I mean, it's, it's one of those things. And like I talk about when it comes to anything, you can make the choice to watch certain fight cards or not watch, watch certain fight cards. And how you watch certain fight cards at a pay-per-view. You want to order it at home or you want to go to the local bar and watch it. Wherever it is, that's your choice. Um, but the UFC, I mean, as they expand, tries to provide, you know, a variety of options at kind of different categorical price points, if you would, um, to kind of meet the demands of the different types of fans. And I mean, yes, I don't know if Zhang versus Yajajic would be a free fight. I think it's been a long time since we've had a title fight on free television. I don't know that the UFC is ever going to go back to that route. I'd like to see it. Uh, but I don't know that that's something we're going to see in the cards anytime soon. So that's going to be a next uh, pay-per-view. But again, Wiley Zhang, I think, is pretty big in the Asian markets. Not necessarily as well-known here in North America. So it'll be interesting to see where that fight, if that is the title fight they choose to go with, where it would fit in on a pay-per-view card. If it headlines, if it's the co-main event, if Yajajic has enough star power to headline a card... And, you know, you have some great secondary fights. on. I don't know. So we'll see how that plays out. And as I was saying, I don't know that Yamanu, Rose Nama Yunus is ready to come back. And inside, you can't stagnate divisions. Yeah, Jaychik, I mean, she uh, busts up her foot pretty bad from what I saw on Instagram. So it'll be interesting to see how that plays out. I don't know that Jessica Andrade is necessarily the next in line. I do have a bit of a hard time with that. Uh, to me, I think Andrade needs, a, you know, at least another win. She never defended the belt. I mean, she looked good en route to getting the title shot, but she did lose to Joanna. She had a title shot against Joanna, and in her first title defense got knocked out in seconds. So it'll be, it, it's tough to say that Andrade gets the immediate rematch. Again, I just don't know where you go in that division there. But nonetheless, that's where we're kind of at there as a result of this weekend. I don't think Cub Swanson's challenging for the featherweight belt necessarily anytime soon, I think. But again, in that division, that has seemed to become kind of the workhorse division, that men's 145-pound division. And you're kind of looking for that next person, I mean, who puts together a couple of wins. All right, get in there and you get your title shot because they're all so fucking good in that division. Those top 10, top 15 guys are all fucking good. And I think it's Alexander Volkanovsky or something like that is getting the next title shot. And he's this monstrous guy who makes a monstrous weight cut uh, to get down to 145. So we'll see if that weight cut, if he a, makes the weight cut, which I don't think he's ever missed. Um, I'm not sure on that though. So don't quote me to that, but it'll be interesting making the weight cut. So let's assume he makes it. If that weight cut if Max Holloway can drag that fight into deeper waters, those championship rounds, how that affects things. Again, someone as big, strong, and with the power that Volkanovski packs, I don't know that he's looking to drag this fight out. I think he's looking at, let's finish this as quickly as possible. But we'll see. Um, but nonetheless, it kind of drags into the another big point about combat sports and entertainment is... I mean, I've, I've talked a little bit over the last year about how, I mean, there's a lot of things happening, whether it be in, in mixed martial arts, boxing, wrestling, whatever it might be, 
that, yes, there are certain things need to happen. We've lost certain stars, you know, maybe the sports are saying, but the same breath, you know, thinking about it a little bit lately, there's almost an argument to be made that combat sports and entertain and entertainment may be at its biggest and healthiest it's ever been. And there's that fucking grandfather clock of mine. Uh, might be at its biggest and healthiest it's ever been or has been in a very, very long time. I mean, it seems like forever ago that you couldn't get the UFC in most bars. It wasn't a thing. You know, now it's being broadcast. They have a broadcast deal with ESPN. They have more weight. They've, they've what, tripled their weight divisions in the last 10 years? You know... New champions. I mean, still. I mean, you have guys like John Jones that have been around for forever now, but or seem to have been around forever. But new champions, old fighters moving between promotions. And whilst let's look at mixed martial arts, there might be fewer promotions than there once were at what many people might have felt was MMA's heyday. But the strength of those promotions and their respective position to each other might actually be healthier now than it's ever been. I mean, yes, there was a time when WEC, UFC, Pride, Strike Force, and Bellator, I believe, all existed at the same time. And those are just the big league fight um, or promotions, forgetting all the smaller league promotions. And <coughs> we're just talking about the bigger league promotions for right now in this episode. Um, but there was a lot of competition, a lot of fighting, and. Um, you know, and jockeying for position, but some position, I mean, you saw a lot of these companies fold, get bought out and for better or worse talent shipped here or there, but you never had those clear positionings. And I mean, some promotions, whilst they had great talent, you know, what might've been cash poor, you know, they weren't profitable or, or strong businesses. Now it seems like the businesses of each mixed martial of the big mixed martial arts promotions are bigger and healthier now than they've ever been. The UFC is on a different level now than it was two years ago, three years ago, four years ago. Every year it seems to be getting bigger and bigger. And I give my and my hats take I take my hat off to them. New ownership, but I mean still some of the same faces around. Dana White has been the president through all of this. Like how incredible is that? And I mean, if I could spend or take an entrepreneurship, a business class or business courses with anybody, he'd have to be one of them. I mean, that guy's business acumen is second to none. What he's done there is absolutely marvelous. I think, I don't think enough credit necessarily is given to him on the regular. So hats off to Dana White, but the UFC is bigger and stronger than it ever been. Bellator MMA has found a nice groove. You know, I, I don't know if they still do their Bellator kickboxing or not, but they kind of split and had a secondary promotion. I think even for a while they they had these they would have them in big arenas and they'd actually have dual events, kickboxing and mixed martial arts in the same night. <coughs> Pardon me. I think they've done away with that and focus on the MMA thing. And since Scott Coker has come in and he was the former head of Strike Force, come into Bellator, Bellator has really grown under his leadership. Um, and for better or worse, uh, you know, people, you know, whatever your beliefs are on, on the various people writing the companies, let's look at what's happened though. 
He has grown it, and they found a nice niche as not as as a rival, but a healthy rival in second place to the UFC, and being owned by Viacom. I mean, it's allowed some fighters that might be, you know, you view them as maybe a little past their prime or in some cases not necessarily able to compete with the best in the UFC. Still a chance to shine. Still a chance to win world championships. Still a chance to headline events. And still a chance to make a buttload of money. Especially fighters that have stagnated, that, you know, their careers may be in one promotion have stagnated. There's now these options to go to other promotions. Overseas, we have one FC, which from what I understand in here is over there about as big as the UFC is here. And they've had big name talent. They, I mean, the first ever, essentially, and I use air quotes here, trade in mixed martial arts history took place between the UFC uh, and one when famously the UFC sent over Demetrius Johnson, one uh, released and subsequently the UFC signed Ben Askren and how that's played out. Uh, which has now led to interesting things. You're now seeing, I mean, across. I, I don't know when next we're gonna if we're gonna see cross promotion in the UFC. Uh, I mean, in mixed martial arts, I think that could be something we see on the horizon. Uh, maybe between one and Bellator, between Bellator and the UFC, UFC and one. I don't know. It did exist in the past where UFC was able to send fighters over to Pride. It might be something that gets explored again. I don't know. I don't know if you have events that are co-promoted that are kind of, you know, you pit a UFC champion versus uh, a Bellator champion for an MMA champ, whatever it might be. Um, that would be interesting to see as well. And then you have these kind of secondary but big league fights uh, organizations like uh, the PFL. Uh, the Professional Fight League, uh, uh, which is run by former kickboxing world champion Ray Cepho. Uh, where they have, a, again, a different model, but it seems to work for their fighters. So there seems to be a little... I mean, to be a mixed martial artist now, there almost seems to be more opportunity than ever before um, in terms of healthier opportunity, maybe. And I, I mean, there is probably the argument on the other side of it. Today, we're just going to look at this side of the argument. You look at kickboxing, for instance, professional kickboxing, glory fighting, uh, which has amazing um, high-level fighters. Uh, do they call it Glory FC? Or I'm not sure, but I mean, you have guys there. You had Tyrone Spong who fought there, King of the Ring, Tyrone Spong, one of the greatest, if not, you know, well, he is one of the greatest of all time. You know, I've, I've had the pleasure of seeing him both fight in mixed martial arts and in kickboxing. I don't know if he's fought in forever, though. Uh, ever since he broke his uh, leg against Gokan Saki. Actually, I think it was even a week or two. It was very close to when Anderson Silva broke his leg against Chris Weidman, famously. Uh, but nonetheless, great fighters have gotten their start there. And there's a lot of great fighters that do fight over there still. Um... You know, and, and fighters that have transitioned, to, you know, and whatever it might be. You look at jujitsu now, metamorphosis, I think it is, or metamorphosis or whatever it is, it's called. Um, but now you have almost like professional jujitsu competitions, Abu Dhabi. All of these things are growing bigger and bigger. And I'm sure people that, you know, that compete in the grappling world will tell you jujitsu is probably bigger and healthier now than it's ever been. Boxing. 
I mean, you're ne- you're seeing it now the next generation, the next emergence of stars. You know, you had Anthony Ruiz or Andy Ruiz, who uh, I think it was Andy Ruiz maybe, uh, who beat Anthony Joshua. You know, Tyson Fury now doing cross promotions into the WWE. You know, so you're seeing a lot of these things now happen. Uh, it was, um, you know, you had the big Wilder versus Fury fight. I think it was last year, or maybe even earlier this year. I can't remember now. But you know, you're just seeing, you know boxing's big again um for the first time earlier this year was it um the the biggest boxing storylines didn't avoid Floyd Mayweather it was the Triple G Canelo Alvarez uh duo of fights uh in which Triple G was undefeated then got the draw and then uh I mean subsequently lost the decision to Canelo Alvarez and when you leave decisions to the judges I mean it's it's tough because they can go either way and that was such a close fight that in a 12-round fight, and if you score it 7-5, right? If you say that Triple G, Gennady Golovkin, won seven rounds to five against Canelo Alvarez, well, seven to five, one round the other way, becomes 6-6. So you go through and you find another round. Now, all of a sudden, you have a 6-6 fight. And then you subsequently now find one more round. You have 6-4 the other way for Canelo. And that can be the top problem with these, these close fights is, yeah, people are like, oh, man, I thought so-and-so won. And, I mean, on fight night, uh, watching it live, I did think Triple G had won the fight. Did I think he did enough to dominate the fight? Maybe not necessarily. Might not have been his best performance, but I thought he had won. But then when I heard the scores and I said, ah, and they said Triple G won, I was like, well, wait a second. Okay, I can see that now. Because if you're going to go 7-5 one way, 7-5 one way easily becomes 6-6, which can just as easily become 7-5 the other way. So that's kind of where you're seeing. But again, the big storylines in boxing this year didn't involve uh, Floyd Mayweather. Didn't involve Manny Pacquiao. Didn't involve Conor McGregor. So it's kind of interesting there. You're seeing these guys now, a new era of dominance um, in mixed martial arts and across sports. Look at, as I said, in entertainment, professional wrestling. It started with that all-in pay-per-view that Cody Rhodes and the Young Bucks threw. Now there's a whole new um, wrestling uh, promotion organization around. In the big leagues, with big name stars, people leaving the WWE to go. Now, have we seen this happen before? Absolutely. You know, lest we forget WCW, lest we forget TNA, lest we forget Impact Wrestling. It wasn't that long ago that people were arguing that TNA was pushing WWE to have some of the best broadcasts and best storylines ever that it was it could possibly have because of the strength of their own promotion. You know, lest we forget, we it wasn't that long ago that Kurt Angle and uh, AJ Styles were throwing five-star matches. It seems like forever going, and it was forever ago. But there was a time. Right? And then the WWE became the big dog. You know, they've always kind of been the big dog. But now all of a sudden, their big dog status, I mean, kind of went unchallenged. 
you know, and for better or worse, there's, a, you know, and there's, a, you know, there's always two sides to the argument. There's the WWE side as the promoter, and then there's the, the wrestler's side, right? And there's always going to be unhappy. There, there could always be, I shouldn't say there always is, but there always can be unhappiness and misunderstandings on either side, right? And, and everybody's got to do, you know, kind of for themselves. But, I mean, now all of a sudden you have this promotion where you have guys who are helping run the promotion with input that have been around forever, you know, or have or come from families. Cody Rhodes, in a way, is kind of wrestling royalty. You know, son of Dusty Rhodes, you know, the American dream, I think is what he called himself, Dusty Rhodes. Dusty was there through all of it. You don't think Cody in the back there learned a thing or two? Chris Jericho, who in my opinion might very well be the biggest wrestler on the planet right now. I don't mean, of course, in physical stature or star, because I mean, there's always the overshadow of The Rock. But I mean, The Rock might very well be the biggest celebrity on the planet right now. And good for The Rock. As, uh, you know, I heard an interview recently with Hulk Hogan where he had said, you know, I opened the door. You know, I created that door and opened the door for wrestlers. The Rock came and kicked that thing down. And The Rock did. You know, but again, he didn't do that by sitting around. It was putting in the work, creating opportunity, taking advantage of opportunities. And you watch early stuff with The Rock in it. He's fucking grown. Man, has he grown. And there was a time you would have never thought Dwayne The Rock Johnson was going to be as big as he is. You know, but there he was. He became kind of king of the mic in the WWE. Cutting the best promos, the best talker. You know, putting on good matches. You know, it was what it was. Now look at the guy, right? But focusing on, on, on pro wrestling. Again, in my opinion, there is a very, very, very strong argument that Chris Jericho is the biggest wrestler on the planet. The best wrestler on the planet... Very well is also another Winnipegger, none other than Kenny Omega. And here they are now helping this upstart promotion. And, you know, I'm excited. You know, and now that they're both being offered up here in Canada on, on TV, I, I haven't actually been able to sit down and watch a full episode of AEW Dynamite, I think they call their show. It's on Wednesdays. So hopefully tonight uh, with this cold, I can sit down and uh and catch that but nonetheless we've now seen we're seeing this new era again of competition re-emerging and even in mixed martial arts you're seeing these promotions really and truly push each other and compete you know they found niches where they can compete with each other it's not competing directly against each other kind of like the the fight game Kind of like any kind of direct competition. It's no different than when you watch... I was a big fan. A big fan. I still, every so often, will go on uh, YouTube and go through binges of watching the old NBC National Heads Up Invitation Only Heads Up No Limit Hold'em Tournament. Uh, where it was like 64 of the quote-unquote best players in the world. And these were all, at the time, probably were the 64 best players in the world. Of course, minus me. Uh, <laughs> but... Yeah, you know, these were the cream of the crop, you know, big names, whatever it might be, 
playing poker against each other, all with different styles. You know, you're not going to see... I mean, a great example of that was one year, I think it was a first-round matchup between Phil Locke and Daniel Negreanu, and they were the feature table um, in their um, broadcast day. And Daniel Negreanu and Phil Locke do not play the same style of poker. They do not play the same strategy. They do not play the same styles. They do not play the same systems. They do not play the same way. So it's who can implement their game better over the other person and get the victory. And in the end, actually, it was Phil Locke, in a fairly dominant manner, uh, took it to Daniel Negreanu, and um, what many people felt was a shocking upset. I've always been a Phil Locke fan, and nothing against Daniel Negreanu. Nothing against Daniel. Uh, but always been a big Phil Locke fan. Interesting to see, right? So, again, sports, you know, combat, back to combat sports, um, back to combat sports and uh, entertainment, it's at a new point now where they've kind of understood that same principle that you apply in other sports of, hey, I don't need to compete at exactly what you do to beat you. And I got it about my own game and strategies, implement my game to compete in that marketplace and have my market share, right? Sustain, grow that market share, defend that market share, have a healthy market share, have a healthy product, a healthy business. You're seeing that now again emerge across the, the board, right? And I mean, as you know, the other side of that, yeah, you'll see some other companies maybe fold. You might see new competition emerge, whatever it might be. But I mean, there's that, there's that saying that competition keeps you honest. So we'll see, but it's an interesting and exciting time. Uh, and, I, and I say that a lot uh, for combat sports uh, entertainment, so boxing, kickboxing, jiu-jitsu, mixed martial arts, uh, and pro wrestling. You know, I am very excited. I got to see, I think it was most of a Monday Night Raw broadcast, and I saw the first SmackDown on uh, Fox, so we'll see now. Maybe, I, as I said, now that I have this cold, and I think recording this episode today is beating me up a little bit here. I'm, I'm starting to really feel a little lousy here. <coughs> so I'm going to wrap this up now. But I do thank you for bearing with me here as I have a cold here, trying to record an episode. Uh, I hope you've enjoyed it. And I do, again, thank you so much for your time and tuning into this episode of the Seems Legit Podcast. If you aren't already doing so, please follow me on both Twitter and Instagram, at the dude Sunny D. Also, if you are in Winnipeg looking and you need cell phone repairs or anything, please visit my friends over at Selfix Doctors, located at 666 St. James Street, uh, right across uh, from Polo Park Mall. Uh, visit them for any cell phone, tablet, screen repair needs you might have. Mention the Seems Legit podcast and you will receive 10% off. They do great work. Uh, so pay them a visit if you have any of those needs. Anyway, again, follow me on both Twitter and Instagram at the dude Sunny D. Uh, thanks so much. Take care and bye-bye for now.